0: Now approaching junction at platform
1: passengers Report, Please stay on board. Next stop road station.
0: iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's
2: more to iPhone.
3: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
0: Hello and welcome to the game podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. As the 2019-2020 Premier League season kicks off, we'll be with you twice a week for all the best reaction and analysis for what promises to be another exhilarating campaign. Joining me in the studio today are The Times' very own Alison Rudd and James Gearbrandt and I'm delighted to welcome former pro Gregor Robertson on board for the new season. Hi, Gregor. Hi, This is going to be fun.
1: It sure is. I hope so.
0: It it will be. It will be. And it'll be a a roller coaster, I'm sure, as the season will be as well. Later on, we're going to be talking VAR and the new rules introduced into the Premier League season. But first to the title race. The season may well only be about to kick off, but let's fast forward, shall we, to May 17th and to the team which will be lifting the trophy at the end of the season. Alison, who it's quite, do you think? quite
3: clearly going to be Liverpool, uh, isn't it? I mean, you've, it, unless you <laughs> say Liverpool, you have absolutely no romance in your soul or no sense of narrative whatsoever.
1: First oh dear. Of all,
3: first, <laughs> first of all, I know the arguments for saying it's going to be Manchester City. They still have a squad with incredible depth and it doesn't seem to matter who's injured or which which lineup he he chooses. It looks like the the A-star team you could have and that's that's worth a good deal. But very only Alex Ferguson has managed to win it three times on the trot. It's a hard thing to do for lots of reasons. One of them is that sense of um keeping that intensity and emotion and this sense of importance and it clearly will matter a lot more to Liverpool this season than it will to City that's just a fact what will matter more to City is being allowed to compete in Europe and doing well in Europe that you know the, the amount of money spent on that team not not winning the Champions League will start to become a bit of an embarrassment and i do feel liverpool you know you can, it's not it's not a dreadful thing that happened last season losing the title by one point that gives you such such a sense of just one one thing we got wrong, and I know exactly what they got wrong is that they went on holiday for a couple of weeks when they were at the domestic cups, and they shouldn't have gone warm weather training. And if they hadn't done that, they would have won the title. So I don't, I really think it's quite logical as well as emotionally beautiful that they're going to win the title.
4: <laughs> I
0: love the emotionally beautiful. Okay, uh, James, do you agree?
3: For for
4: me, I I, I see the uh, the emotion on the side of the report. For mm. me, logic comes down, I think comes down more on the side of Man City. Mm. I just feel, I feel they're a slight level above Liverpool, to be completely honest. And I think if you look at things like expected goal difference from last season, City were actually, you know, they, they weren't as close as they were in the actual table. I I feel like, can I see City kind of getting up to the 90, 95 point mark again? Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I can. And with yeah. Liverpool, I sort of... I just have slightly more faith that City can repeat last season's level of performance in terms of, in terms of results than than Liverpool can, and I just kind of feel, just my kind of my feeling from from watching the teams, I I just feel like City just have a slightly more kind of bulletproof method of kind of scoring goals than than Liverpool do for me, and I I also think we 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 might get onto it, but I also think Liverpool were in some senses a bit lucky with you know for example last season. You know, as we all know, a huge amount of build up play and the ball progression came from the fullbacks, Trent Alexander Arnold and Alexander Andy Robertson even. Um and they pretty much stayed fit both stayed fit for the entire season. I think Alexander Arnold missed a handful of games, but you know, will they be that lucky again mm. in terms of the fitness of those key players? I don't know. I, I think Liverpool are clearly those are clearly the best two teams. I think they're way ahead of the pack. I feel City are stronger and and are favourites in my eyes.
0: Okay, so we've got one for Liverpool, one for Manchester City. Uh, Gregor, who are you going for?
1: I'm sorry, Alison, I'm, I'm, <laughs> going, for, <laughs> I'm going for City.
3: You are dead. <laughs> <laughs> emotionally, <Already? laughs> emotionally barren, apparently as well.
1: <laughs> All the arguments both of you made are, are correct. I think that, you know the margins are so fine. You know, the point between the two teams last season. Um, I just think it comes down to. Looking at both teams and seeing who can replicate that sort of level of hitting those heights again for another season, and I just feel that it's more likely to be Manchester City. Um,
3: Why
1: why though? As James alluded to, their the depth in their attack, the sort of Arsenal they they possess is is unparalleled.
4: I didn't think we'd hear the word Arsenal in this discussion (laughs) (laughs) of possible title (laughs) winners. You
1: know, they have. Leroy Sani, Gabriel Jesus, Gundogan, Mares, all of whom are unlikely to to be regular starters in, the, in Pep Guardiola's best team. I think the only thing, the only hope Liverpool. Well, it's not the only hope, but a, a major hope is Manchester City's defense has undoubtedly been weakened by the departure of of company. And when you look at John Stones and Otamendi, you just feel that there there is potential for the occasional blunder that perhaps wouldn't have been as likely um, in seasons gone by. So I think that's Liverpool's best hope. And I I just feel that City are are relentless. They're just, it's going to be very Mm. hard for... Liverpool lost one game last season and they still fell short.
0: This is what I was going to say. They they lost just that one game and they did fall short by a point. But can you really expect them to go a, a whole season again, losing just one game? And therefore it's going to make their challenge harder if City lost four games and still went on to win the title as they did.
3: Liverpool are still growing into this... New, I think <laughs> implicit in your question almost is the sense that Liverpool are a bit flaky. But last season we saw what they are like when they've got the defence sorted out. And so I believe this season they're going to grow into that and know more about what they are about. For example, their midfield, I think it's slightly surprising that as we record, they haven't um, recruited creative midfield. But why that's a really hard thing to rejig. You don't just buy one, you have to rethink your whole midfield. But actually I think Liverpool are a tart tatan sort of team. They're upside down what you expect and their midfield is actually very defensive and very well organised because the creativity comes from everywhere else. And they've got this magical formula where they have a defence that is so reliable but also incredibly creative. You just watch Virgil van Dyke's clearances, they always almost always land somewhere that helps them attack. They're going to be better at that, not worse. Mm, I think it's false logic to that, assume that that, that, that me, was a blip. This is part of their growth. That, for me, though, is a
4: question, though, as, as I was saying. Were, for example, Andy Robertson to have a serious, you know, to have a reasonably long injury layoff, can the midfield... And, and, you know, clearly the depth of the reserve option at the at, at fullback are not... They're not the equal of Alexander-Arnold and Robertson, particularly in terms of what they offer as a kind of creative force... Could Liverpool then rejig the way they play? Could the midf- step, midfield step up and be more creative? Do you think yeah, well, that to happen?
3: But, I mean, they have had blips, and you just have to look at the way Klopp's adapted to those. We take it for granted now that James Milner can play on in every position, but he, when he's played fullback, Liverpool haven't been disastrously awry or askew from that. They've actually functioned quite well, and each player adapts according to who they've had to slot in because of an injury. I mean. You know, I could say what happens if Pep Guardiola gets kidnapped and is missing for six months. That would affect City, wouldn't it? There's no point talking about what ifs. I do believe we have seen Klopp adapt to adversity. You know, I mean, oxlade Chamberlain, that was a that was a big blow. Just as mm-hmm. just as he'd begun to look like he could be someone important for Liverpool, he's out for a year. Still still achieved a hell of a lot without him. You just you just have that's part of management and I believe that Klopp and his team are quite good at absorbing those sorts of problems. And that's not to say that City might also might the city might have more leg breaks this season than any other team. You don't know,
0: do you? It, obviously the suggestion there is that it's going to be a two-horse race for this title once again, is that what we're going for?
1: Yeah. Um it's hard to see anything different really. I think Tottenham have improved and they and they, they couldn't possibly have a more difficult summer as uh, as they did last 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 season and or, and season in fact. They hardly had any pre-season. They had the whole stadium debacle. They lost Harry Kane for Ten games, son, an international duty. There was a lot of disruption last season, and they still came through. And, and uh, although they they dropped off towards the end, they were still in the title race come, come February. I think they are the best of the rest, but there's still a, a big gulf between between Liverpool, uh, Man City, and and the rest of the big six.
0: Where do we think Tottenham will end up then, James?
4: Uh, yeah, that, I mean, I think that's a it's a really interesting question because I think one of the sort of the sort of real kind of under the radar storylines from last season, of course because they got to a Champions League final in such kind of riotously entertaining circumstances was Tottenham's league form towards the end of last season was terrible. Mm. It was really bad. I think they took 11 points from their last 12 games by far their worst extended run of form in Mauricio Pochettino's tenure. I think the signing of Ndombele is, is a really, really good one and I think that will really help them. I think central midfield despite the kind of miracles that Pochettino wrought out of, you know, Sissoko and Harry Winks last season. I think that's an area where they, you know, Ndombele will will bring, I think, probably a, a step up in quality compared to the options that they already have in that position. And I think that will really help them. Um, I think in, in pre-season they've been... It's always dangerous, I know, to read too much into pre-season, but I think they've been quite encouraging. I, I went to watch them in Munich play against um, Real Madrid, and I, I thought they, they looked quite good. And I think obviously it's a, it's a season where the the other half of the Big Six Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester United, there were in each case, I think there are kind of there are big reasons for kind of pessimism, but but yeah, certain scepticism as to their prospects this season. So. I kind of, I kind of have in my head. I sort of have Tottenham kind of third, sort of by by default. And I think whenever in the last five seasons we've sort of doubted Tottenham and and we've sort of wondered whether Pochettino can sort of you know wondered about their squad depth, wondered whether Pochettino can sort of pull them out of a bit of a tailspin. He's always done it. Or you know, mm. just give the squad credit too. The, the squad has always managed to do it. So. For me, Tottenham are are the best of the rest, in in my mind.
0: Alison, if Tottenham do end up finishing third, as James has predicted, who will make up the top four? Who will be that last side?
3: I'm not sure I go for Tottenham in the top three, really. Really? Uh, Mainly because I just like to be consistent. I just feel what Tottenham have lacked in the Pochettino era, when they do play, when it's going well, they've got youth pace invention they're beautiful to watch and they they can swarm around and, and really do it they they just haven't got anybody with um premier league winning nows there they still feel like a team that it, when it wobbles there's no one there's no one person like city had company i often felt you know company wasn't really fully fit but it didn't matter because he brought that personality where he could calm everyone down or make them lift their game when necessary they don't have someone like that on the pitch. It's as though Pochettino much prefers young players he can mould and wants to sh- almost prove to us that his belief in them can work miracles rather than buy it in, as though that's cheating in some way. I don't, I don't know. I just feel it's they ought to have thought about if they're going to start spending money, their strategy should have been slightly different. It's, it's really hard to predict what, where the other ones will go. I think there's so much goodwill towards Frank Lampard at Chelsea. The transfer ban won't have any impact at all because they've got three and a half thousand youngsters on their books <laughs> around the country that they can draw upon and and Frank's the man to do it I think he enjoyed that role at Derby a lot um, helping young players assimilate and get better so I think I think the mood at Chelsea will be really good and forgiving and again I, I agree with uh, James pre-season means very little but they've started to look like they know what the team will be. He won't be as rigid as Sari. Nobody will be as rigid as sorry will they? But he won't be as rigid and the fans will be so delighted that they'll have Kante playing the role that they want him to play and it'll just be a happy place. And if you consider that Chelsea won a place in the Champions League and they won the Europa League, League final while the fans were grumpy, imagine what they'll achieve when it's, it's a happy stadium. So I think maybe Chelsea will finish above Spurs. I'll go for that.
0: Okay. But you think Tottenham would still finish yeah, I think fourth? Yeah, they could finish
3: fourth, but I don't, I, don't, I can't see them bettering last season.
0: And what about you, Gregor? I think, I think top four I think Alisson's
1: right. I think Chelsea will, will, will be the only only threat to to Tottenham in fourth. It's very hard to predict, but I just have a feeling that the, the goodwill that, that uh, Alison mentioned there towards Lampard. People have said that this is this is the worst time for him to take this job. I think it's the best time because there's expectations are being lowered. He knows what his remit is about introducing some some young players who Morris also knows his, his assistant I think he'll be given some leeway by, by the Chelsea fans and because of that um, Goals are going to be an issue they've obviously lost Eden Hazard Tammy Abraham kind of has to step up now or never really I think this is going to be his, his chance to get some minutes because they've only really got Giroud and, and Batshuayi and it's just, I just think it's going to be a very interesting season. It's, you know, we've spoken about the the talent that Chelsea have in reserve a long way down the ladder for so many years. And there's just a hope that, that we're going to see some of them this year and that, that could be very exciting.
4: I think Chelsea, that's so, such an interesting case. Cause I, I think actually last season, I think Chelsea were actually, you know, I think Chelsea were a pretty solid team last season. There, there was obviously the whole kind of... The soap opera around Sarri and and his kind of really weird sort of, you know, his press conference sort of persona that made it seem like they were you know very chaotic team, but I think actually they were pretty solid. And I, I think, you know, if you look at the kind of the the underlying statistics, I think they were fairly actually fairly clearly the third best team in in the Premier League last season. But in some senses, I think their their situation is is the hardest of all of the big six because all the kind of, you know, the, the conditions around them because they've lost Hazard, who was really kind of, I mean, he he was their paramount creative spark last season. I mean, really sort of propping up propping up the attack to a certain extent.
1: 16 goals and 15 assists. It's well, a huge number to lose.
4: Absolutely. Um, and they've not really been able to replace that. They had the Pulisic transfer coming in already, but mm. he's not showing anything. He's not really I suppose in some senses he is a kind of similar type of player, but he's he's never in his career shown the ability to bring anything like that level of production. I think Chelsea's defensive resources are pretty solid. You've obviously still got some of the rump of the team that um was very, very strong defensively when when they won the title under under Conte, you've got Espilaqueta and Louise and Christensen. Christensen still still there, right? Yeah. He hasn't gone out online. Um and, and obviously, as Alison alluded to, you've got Conte potentially coming back in and playing defensive midfield role. But the attack for Chelsea, the attack worries me. I, I think, you know, you're looking at sort of Pulisic, Mount, Pedro, Abraham, with, with you know, Kovacic potentially in, in, in midfield. I mean, that to me, that feels to me like a Europa League level attack.
3: What they need, though, what they'll... Presumably, get his goals from midfield because that's what Frank Lampard could do. I mean, if, if Frank Lampard's going to do anything, coaching-wise, it's going to be to teach them how to. Do you think he'll bring that arrive? Up? How many goals did Frank Lampard score arriving from midfield? <laughs> and Chelsea did not do that at all. Can he bring season. that out
4: of Ross Barkley? Do you think? I mean, he well, would be the most he, obvious candidate for for that type of transformation. Yeah,
3: and Ross Barkley's prime for that because he when he arrived, do you remember when he arrived from Everton he said I wasn't coached properly mm. because he was a precocious talent and everyone just assumed he could do it and didn't need any coaching and he got to Chelsea and realised I do need coaching as I've, I've, I've got gaps in my knowledge and I think Frank Lampard's into all that, making sure youngish players develop properly
0: Well obviously we know Chelsea can't strengthen their side because of their transfer embargo but obviously Arsenal have Manchester United have but you all seem to be discounting those two sides from making it into the top four. Do you expect them to finish in the top six or could there be a surprise side that uh, ousts one of them from the top six?
3: Oh, I think I'd like there to be. I'd, I'd be a bit of a fairy tale if it could be something like Wolves. Um, I'm sure they're probably slightly ludicrous suggesting that, but I don't see why not because good managers are able to progress and I do feel... There's something about Wolves and the sense that they would so dis. They got Europa League football, but they they felt dis. They were a promoted team that won Europa League football, and yet there's a sense of disappointment at that club, which I think means they know they can achieve more. So I mm. think maybe I've, it's not so ludicrous mentioning Wolves as a potential top.
4: Six. I don't think so at all. I think in terms of their, I think in terms of their performance, I think Wolves are a lot closer to the the top six teams than the actual table ended up suggesting in the end. I think. They're they're an exceptionally good defensive side. Sort of almost paradoxically, because you look at the squad and you think that the kind of balance of individual talent tilts more towards the attacking end of the pitch, but they're exceptionally well coached by Nuno. Obviously, the big unknown with Wolves is is how they'll cope with with European football. I think it's extremely unusual for teams to to get into the Europa League, particularly you know teams outside the kind of established elite and and improve their league performance the obvious season i mean we can all remember like fulham for example had that very good Europa league campaign but fell away a bit in the league that season and and that will be the big test for them Their their squad is is strong but it's not it's not huge there's not kind of enormous reserves of depth there and as as gregor i think mentioned um Uh, when we were talking earlier Nuno is not he's not one of your great sort of rotator managers, he's someone who really likes a kind of established, settled team so how he'll deal with that challenge I think will will be really interesting as well
1: I think nine players last season played 30 plus games, Mm -hmm. which I think was the most in the Premier League and as I mentioned they they played the same team for the opening nine fixtures which was a Premier League record and it's really been based on Wolves' success in the last two years has been based on that sort of sense of continuity, I think. And as James has mentioned, the excellent coaching. Um and everyone knowing their job and in, in that system which is really, really effective. So this is going to be a new challenge for them having so much more football.
0: And so do you agree that they'll they'll be the biggest threat to the top six?
1: Well, we've not mentioned Leicester and uh, I think a lot of people there's a lot of goodwill towards <laughs> towards Leicester. Um I think we, we know about the, the sort of exciting Young players they have there, likes of Ben Chilwell, uh, Hamza Chowdhury, Harvey Barnes, James Madison, Damari Gray, um, and then adding Uri Tillmans Tielman, uh, to that was was an amazing, excellent sign, a real coup I think. Um, I think I think Brendan Rodgers is a good fit. You know, from both perspectives, it's a good job for him to to have to have a chance at. at, at at sort of doing something pretty special in the Premier League, we already saw the effect of his, his his arrival last season. Towards the end of last season, there was a really interesting interview with, with Andy King and uh, I think Henry Winter did last week, and he was sort of discussing the. This is almost the end of the old guard who's who, who got Leicester into the Premier League. I obviously, obviously had that fairy tale season where they won the Premier League, and they're sort of handing down the importance of team spirit and, and uh, togetherness to the new players that are coming into into the into the squad um, and I think that's 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 very valuable I think if you look at most squads in the Premier League I'm not sure there's anywhere the players there want to be there as much I think everyone's happy to be there and, and be a Leicester, Leicester City player at, at a football club that's moving in the right direction and they're a manager that plays good football so I think that can be quite powerful and I think I think they, possibly because of the Europa League, they might even be above wolves. But I don't think anyone's going to beat the Big Six, unfortunately.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
1: VoiceOver on settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get
2: on with your day.
0: From those fighting for the title in the European spots to the wrong end of the table and to those battling for survival, whether that's staying out of the relegation zone or maybe even becoming the first managerial casualty, who will go down this season? I think the bookies make Sheffield United and Norwich, two of the sides that were promoted as favourites. agree
3: with that? Well, it's always easy just to target the the teams that have just come up. But then you look at Wolves and think, well, that would have been stupid, wouldn't it, if you said they were (laughs) favourites? I I would say, outside of the, obviously, the obvious problems that the promoted teams will have, it's, it's a big adjustment, but I would say uh, Newcastle are in danger because I've been saying for quite a long time Newcastle will stay up only if Rafa Benitez is in charge. That's not to overstate his genius as a coach, I just think he was able to pull together that club in a way that probably nobody else could. The fans adored him, he was genuinely considered the messiah there. It's a club with lots of problems and yet... Anita's was a sort of very very calm authoritative presence that was able to navigate matches to the point that you felt they're not going they're just not going to go down I just think all the bubbling under the surface problems and lack of investment in the team will come to the fore and they won't have that sense of it's all right you know we can cope it's all right we have rafa in charge I think it might i just i fear that it might crumble at Newcastle
4: James what do you think i would maybe go along with that I I think it's tricky because I think I've had very bad kind of feelings about Brighton last season but I think the appointment of Graham Potter is a really good one so I think they may actually be I think they may be much improved under him I I do feel gloomy about Newcastle I must say I'm not kind of a big believer in Steve Bruce's methods not not at this level anyway they've lost Perez and Rondon I wasn't that sold on Almirón when he came in last season. They've signed Joëlinton, who was who performed well at Hoffenheim, and I think he will have you know a, a lot depends on him. I think he he's you know he's replacing, he's probably replacing the goal scoring of, of two players really in 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 Perez and Rondon. Yeah, I think a lot of their attack will will obviously rest on how how well he performs. Yeah, I I, I don't know if I'd tip them to go down, but I do feel a little bit gloomy about Newcastle, I
0: must okay. say. So i pessimistic about their season. Gregor, can you be optimistic about their season?
1: I don't know, Steve Bruce is a well-old fox. I think I think there is the basis of a team that can survive there. And coming back to the bookies favorites, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I I think Norwich could be in trouble. Largely because they, you know, their defense, they, they, I think they conceded fifty-seven league goals last season, which for a title winner is is a lot, and it was I think it's sixteen more than Sheffield United, mm. who were in second, and they've got some real talent in that back four: Max Aarons, Jamal Lewis, absolute stars. Um, ben Ben Godfrey, who dropped back, he's really a midfielder, but he he was excellent, and there was some interest in him, and uh, Christoph Zimmerman. But who's plucked from the German lower leagues? But none of them have any experience whatsoever uh, in the top flight, or really much Championship experience.
0: This time last season, we were all talking about Fulham and how much they were spending, and Aston Villa seemed to have spent a, a heck of a lot of money. They spent well over a hundred million. I think they've brought in twelve players as we record this podcast. Uh, is that good management? Are they backing themselves to stay in the top flight, James? Or should they be really heeding the warning of what happened to to Fulham.
4: I mean I don't think it's a sort of I don't think it's a question of absolutes. Like, I don't think making lots of transfers is per se bad. I think the Fulham thing actually last season was was actually a lot more complicated than you know they bought a lot of players and made too many transfers. I think a lot of what condemned Fulham was some of the players that they kept in the team from the championship that weren't good enough particularly in, at the back. But having said that, I, it, it's really tricky. I think I, I'm not kind of... Well, it's a, it's a difficult balancing yeah, act, I'm isn't it? I'm not
3: against it per se. Um, I went to interview Chris Wilder at Sheffield United and I said, uh, well, actually, it's quite a nice thing, isn't it? You've got no money. Which means you don't have the disaster that happened to Fulham. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. And he went, well, well, I can I, I, I see your point, but I still would quite like £100 million to spend. Mm. I just think it would be silly to start saying that a promoted club has that level of investment, ergo they might not know how to spend it properly. I think there's every chance if they're good at what they do there, I think they are actually behind the scenes, it's a very well-run club now, Mm. they will have taken note of what happened at Fulham and and realised that if you were to analyse each transfer and the reason each one went wrong, they haven't made those same mistakes. Yeah, they so would, yeah. would argue right. they've, they've 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 brought in only to enhance and not to meddle. Yeah,
4: the you're other right. The thing is, if if Fulham last season didn't exist, the analogy we'd all be making with a promoted club spending lots of money would be would be, would be with Wolves last season. So I think it it's not it's not necessarily a, just about the level of money you spent. Mm. Clearly, it's about the the individual transfers themselves and, and whether they
1: there were circumstances Aston Villa. I think they released 12 players. I was and going to say, there's been a lot of departures. And a handful of loanies. And obviously, uh, I think three of them have come. Tyron Mings, El Ghazi. El Ghazi, yeah. Uh, well, maybe, maybe two. And, you know, they, they, there's a bit of continuity in that. But they needed to. They needed numbers. And they needed to, to improve in certain areas of the pitch. So I, I think it's a bit of a weak comparison really it's oh, one it? <laughs> <laughs> you're mate. not the first to do it though <laughs> it's been all no, no. heard of it all summer, yeah, it's I'm, a sure, it summer. I'm, sure, I'm sure
0: dean smith is thinking like allison said oh, i have done my homework um, yeah, if, the,
3: if, the, if the consequence of those signings was that jack grealish was on the bench then it would be a mistake wouldn't mm. it because that's what happened at fulham the sort of the core players the players that had a connection with the crowd the gutsy players yeah. were dumped for, for fancy ones they'd never heard of before it seemed to cost quite a lot of money and it didn't work you, Most of whom you, came
1: in in the last day or two
3: Yeah, so you, 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 if you can enhance the squad whilst keeping the core of why you got promoted and that connection with the supporters which is not a flimsy thing, it's a real thing then then you're going to be fine
0: um, Just lastly on the relegation zone then can, can any of you pick a, your three to go down? Alison, you've obviously doomed Newcastle
3: Yeah, I think I don't know, I've got a funny feeling about one of Brighton or Bournemouth because a coastal thing <laughs> yeah I don't know why that's that's just a gut feeling I just feel that they've uh, overachieved quite a lot at some point it might I just feel how they'll I don't know I've, I think I've seen evidence every season that they, they, they've looked they've had periods where they've looked rubbish and, and credit to them they've got out of them but I just feel it might catch up with them eventually
1: I think sometimes they're at some point, they're dealing in the transfer market, which are rarely a success. Yeah, it might catch up with them. Yeah. Um, Although I,
4: I think re- their more recent dealings in the transfer market, I think have been have. I, th- I think there are sort of gradual signs of improvement. I think David Brooks last season was yeah, a, was a true. roaring success. I think I
1: think Crystal Palace could be in danger. I think if Wilfred Zaha goes, they're essentially down. <laughs> and if he stays, he didn't want to stay. Mm. So you've got an unhappy player there, and and he's a player who. He's the best player outside the top six, perhaps. Won six penalties for them, I think, last season. And he was their biggest creative outlet. So I think his situation is really a big problem for them this year. And they've not really done much of note in the transfer market either so far.
0: Just before we move on then from the doom and gloom at the wrong end of the Premier League table. and I don't really want to bring up managerial casualties, but we have to just have a little discussion about it. Um, uh, Obviously, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer came in... uh, towards the end of last season. Had a great start to his caretaker role and then got the permanent job at Manchester United and things didn't quite work out for him at the end of that. Frank Lampard has this transfer embargo placed under him uh, at Chelsea right now. Maurizio Pochettino has sort of had his little grumblings this summer as well. Can you see any of those not making it through this season? Mm, and I can see club?
3: Pochettino having a strop and going. Can you? Yeah, I thought I, fe- I felt some of his behaviour last season was was rather peculiar. For example, he has a habit of saying things before they should be said. So in his book, he talked about how to be a winner before he'd won anything. And he was talking at the Champions League uh, semi-final stage of... If I win I might look for another challenge mm. I might leave football well you're we saying what do you mean leaving football or are you just going to another club and he was sort of being a bit sort of you know flashing his eyelashes and making us all wonder what he was on about but he was thinking about it before he'd done it you don't even don't even talk about it till you've won it it just seems strange mm. and I think there's clearly something going on behind the scenes um, with this sort of his again his book painted this picture of, of, of him and levy being a lovely partnership but I think levy's might might well have stamped his authority on that partnership over the summer at some point, because Bocinino has been acting a bit moody about that, saying he's, um, I'm just, you know, I'm just a coach, I don't manage anything. And he'd said the opposite. And I think yeah, if you add it all up, in, in isolation, none of these things matter, but if you add them all up, I think he's somebody that could fall out and go. And he's never really successfully, I think, dealt with with being linked to other... Well, mainly Real Madrid, and there was that famous flirtation he had, where he was just, you know, all the Spanish media, like I might, I might be coming here. I just feel that there might be an incident. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, James, can you pick any of those that I mentioned, or,
0: or perhaps another manager that you think could be the first to go? I mean, for example, with the um, reason I mentioned Frank Lampard, I should say, is obviously he has this transfer embargo. Um, he's very new. He's a legend at the club. Do you think he'll, he's going to get a buy because of all of this? Transfer embargo stuff that's going on, or if they get off to a really bad start and they're by Christmas mid-table, do you think Chelsea will go? This isn't good enough, regardless.
4: I, I think that's a that's a difficult one. I I think my personal feeling is that Chelsea would have to they'd have to tank really badly for them to to pull the plug on Lampard because I think there's a as we've we've talked about I think a there's 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 a lot of goodwill towards Lampard and B I think there's the kind of there's an, an acceptance of their Position that you know they're they're probably fighting for the Europa League spots. This it's it's a season of it's a season of rebuilding. They know that their circumstances are are, are tricky and that it's a season of phasing in young um, new players and that that they're at the beginning of a cycle rather than at the the end of one. Ah, uh, yeah, I would be surprised if if Lampard didn't last the season. But as you say, that you know, were results to turn really bad, obviously you can get yourself in a position where. The club has no choice.
3: The worst thing he could do, Frank Lampard, would be to get off to a storming start. <laughs> and then everyone forgets all those things we talked about. And then then it, then it then they kick in, the lack of transfer, the fact that a lot of these players aren't used to blending in with the the more established stars of the team and he hits a bad patch. Then then everyone just everyone will just forget all the reasons they love him and he'll go. He's mm. better off having a journey, you know, starting mm. slowly and then getting better and better. Yeah,
0: yeah. And Gregor, just finally on for you. Who do you think could be in danger as a manager?
1: I don't want to say it again, but I think Graham Potter. I think he's got a huge task yeah. to transform the way that the Brighton have been used to being playing. Um, Swansea last season had the second highest share of possession in the in the division. I think Brighton last year would have been certainly towards the bottom of that that statistic. Um, and there's a lot of players who, who they've signed in in the last year or two that have really flopped and people just presume that that's because of they didn't fit into the way that Chris Hughton's team played it also maybe that they're not good enough um, I, th-
4: I think that's people's presumption isn't it I think I, I would say I would I would argue the other way around I think people presume they're not good enough rather than that they didn't I don't know Maybe I,
1: I, I, th- I kind of get the impression that people think they couldn't fit into the team that Chris Hughton put out on the field certainly and there's certainly there's there's a huge trans transformation's got to take place there in, in, in one summer. Uh and how long if it's if it doesn't start well, how long is is uh the owner gonna take to
3: Well you're spot on because uh in October Brighton won three matches on the trot. It was their record you know, successive wins. They won three on the shot, one nil and all were very narrow, lucky wins. And the word came down from above that yeah, these were a bit lucky and it's not very entertaining. So Hughton tried to play more possession-based football and he said he just it did, just didn't stick. They were dreadful and he had to, he had to go back to what they were because he just didn't have the personnel or attitude or anything. Now okay, Potter's had a summer but it's still a huge ask. It's a complete mindset and I don't I don't think a lot of those players are are ready to play Swansea alone to start football, no. <laughs> well with a
0: new season kicking off we have new laws and var to look forward to in particular in every premier league game there's a host of new laws to, to look forward to um one in particular that i thought we could talk about is um cautions for managers now we've had this in the efl we had this last season but manchester city likes to break records pep guardiola likes to break record and he's well, he's got a new record because he became the first Premier League manager to get a yellow card. Um, this is all down to, obviously, the, their antics on the touchline. And, and, Gregor, it's interesting about what happens if it's um, a coach or an, uh, some sort of an assistant on the touchline, that if they can't be pointed out, what would happen?
1: If if the the fourth official or the, the, the officials can't figure out who has been... Uh, Aiming the barbs to <laughs> towards towards them, um, then then it will be the head coach or manager who who is awarded the caution. Um, mm. I, I, I watched the Leeds Bristol City yesterday and saw that the, the um, Leeds assistant manager was was given a caution. Um, and given that it's, with four cautions, a manager faces a, a suspension. Um, it's perfectly plausible that a manager could get. A couple of cautions within a, the space of a few months, a couple of months, um, that wasn't even it wasn't even them that had, <laughs> that had said anything, <laughs> uh, and I think in that circumstance they're probably they're going to have enough a few serious words with their their coaching staff. So mm. um, I suppose in that regard it's likely to work. We could see. Uh, a few cards being brandished in the in the early weeks, but I think it probably could work.
3: This will this will penalise those clubs who have massive entourages It's like City, won't it? Because you just can't tell them apart. They're all there in their tracksuits. <laughs> They've all got clipboards and iPads. And <laughs> if I was a fourth official, I'd think, well, I don't know who you are. But I know who he is, and show it to Guardiola.
0: Well, yeah, especially with the chunky cardigan that he wears. We all know who Pep Guardiola is. trendy
1: co- combat trousers yesterday. I'm not I sure know. about that. He <laughs>
0: felt like he'd got, uh, gone to Wembley, delayed on a plane or on a train, and you just, <laughs> I've just got to get on the pitch, however. Um, very bizarre. But yes, a manager will receive uh, yellow cards for incidents such as, I suppose, dissent to an extent, if they're not happy with decisions, sarcastic things like uh, gestures and uh, all sorts of... Um, Incidents that could undermine the match official. There also could be red cards for violent conduct, spitting, uh, stopping the opponent, restarting play. James, is this something you you welcome? Is this needed for managers in the Premier League?
4: I guess it's never something that's particularly exercised me, to be honest.
1: But <laughs> I, as I have heard and seen some some pretty bad things from the touchline during, during my career, so I would say that this is probably a good thing. I'm not sure nothing that you can repeat on here <laughs> Absolutely then. not. No. Oh, but really? it's some really colourful and imaginative stuff, but um <laughs> I think I think it's probably long overdue in fact. I think there's no reason why uh coaches on the on the sidelines shouldn't be given punishments and suspensions when players are.
4: Well, one one thing I really don't don't like come to think of, as I really really detest the berating of the fourth official mm. by managers. I really hate that. Um the name Neil Warnock is coming to mind for, <laughs> for, for, for some for some reason um I really hate that and I, and I think if it if it sort of um puts a bit of a stop to that it would be it's a good thing.
0: Well, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Alison Rudd and James Gierbrandt. We have a whole season to look forward to, Gregor. And remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We're going to be back on Thursday for more ahead of the new Premier League season.
4: The Game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk.
0: VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen.
4: VoiceOver on, settings.
0: So you can navigate it just by listening.
4: Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11.
0: And get on with your day. Accessibility, there's more to iPhone.